Hello, you're listening to Wine Blast with me, Susie Barry, and my husband and fellow Master of Wine, Peter Richards. And part of the reason you are my husband is to do with a bottle of Bordeaux, isn't it? <laughs> what else are you going to say there, actually? Yeah, Leia Vobart in 96, wasn't it? It was, it um, was. I mean, I think it's fair to say you weren't a massive fan of Bordeaux, were you? When, when I, I think you? that's very, very fair, yeah, yes. Yeah, and, and, and I had happened to get very excited at a posh wine tasting I'd been at not long before, and I bought my very first ever case of wine which was the, the Barton 96 which starting high was an amazing vintage and it wasn't very expensive back then as far as no. I remember it was under 30 quid a bottle you're kidding um, yeah. anyway I tried you on that you were blown away and, and you very nobly agreed to change your perspective on the matter you know and the rest is history isn't it it's the only time ever only the best for me of course um, I think we should also add a disclaimer here that a bottle of Bordeaux is not the only way to cement a relationship mm. Mm. Um, yeah. other wine regions are available um, and there may even be other ways to do it beyond wine Think so? Maybe. Maybe. I think. I think it is possibly uh, the only time I have ever got you to change your mind on anything. Is that right? <laughs> Certainly on wine. Anyway, let's keep moving on. Um, and say that this episode is all about Bordeaux. It is indeed. It's a sponsored episode, sponsored in conjunction with the Bordeaux Wine Council or CIBB, who were keen for us to turn our attention to Bordeaux. Fair enough. Mm. Um, an area we know well, uh, having visited many times over the years, mm. including, which I cannot forget to run, the Madoc Marathon in 2014 ah. in 30 degree heat. Um, when will we ever forget that? Yeah. Uh, and it's yeah. fair to say, I think then, the best things we tasted as we ran round that long, long course were the cheap ice creams at <laughs> kilometre 41. Um, not to mention the, 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 the perfectly chilled yeah. bottle of champagne, which I will never forget that we had after we'd finished. Yeah, we probably shouldn't dwell on those things particularly, uh, should we? Uh, this is going to be a three-part mini-series on Bordeaux. Um, it's got, you know, this is a region with so many moving parts, I think, mm. that it's the largest fine wine region in the world. It does take a bit of getting your head around. So um, the future episodes will be about looking at the whites and sweets and fizz, um, and then also the hotbed of innovation that is the coat. Um, but in this the episode, coat. we are going to be looking at the established context and sort of digging deeper into what's going on that's new and exciting in the classic areas of Bordeaux. Maybe, I don't know, challenging a few preconceptions along the way. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah. So, so first up, we've got a, a fascinating chat with Bordeaux mm. expert extraordinaire uh, Jane Anson on everything from reassessing terroir in Bordeaux to goats. 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 Why not? Mm. Uh, and then we're also going to be talking to a wine grower who is typical of a new wave of Bordeaux producers, Jan Todeschini of Chateau Mongol in Saint-Emilion. Mm. On, uh, I think we talked to him pretty much on everything from amphora to low sulphur to biodynamics to WhatsApp. WhatsApp being mm. a force for good in Bordeaux is what, what Jan take, told me. I'll take your word for it. Sure, it's true. Mm, Must okay. be true. You know. Jan uh, said it. I think at some stage during this mini-series, we are going to be doing a fantastic giveaway of Bordeaux wine. So do listen out for that in due course. Uh, in the meantime, uh, we have got a wine which we'll be sipping on, and we will talk, tell mm -hmm. you a bit more about that later. But um, before we get started on the episode proper, can I, am I allowed to read out um, a, a review? Oh, go on. Please. Go on. <laughs> It's becoming Deary a bit of a me. habit, isn't it? Um, Immodesty. So the review come. comes from Apple and it was, I love, love, love this show. Susie and Peter are hilarious. <laughs> I'm not um, sure we are. I'm not sure we are. And, and I, I, but, I we, what, but we like your enthusiasm. Maybe, maybe Thank unintentionally you. hilarious. <laughs> yeah. So it depends whether you're laughing at us or with us, really. At. I don't know. Um, uh, they make learning about wine very enjoyable. Susie and Peter are serious about wine without taking themselves too seriously. I love that. Can that be our mm. strap line? Yeah. Okay, good. Um, Done. And it finishes. I've been Glad getting more and more into my wine studies, and each time I listen, I'm tempted to pick up my wine books and read. Thank you. Well, that is extremely kind. It really mm, is, isn't it? Thank mm. you. Thank you. Whoever you are, thank you. Um, and actually, if you are going to read one book uh, as a result of mm. this episode, we would definitely suggest, wouldn't we, Jane's, Jane Anson's oh, yeah, yeah. Inside Bordeaux. It's yeah. not only a mine of information, but it, it, it has a really, it? yeah, we have, haven't we? It's, it's got a really fresh take on the, on the region. It looks at it through the mm. perspective of terroir and soils and the vineyard, which which is long overdue. Mm. Um, and Jane mm. says, and I quote, Bordeaux is a place that brings together geography, history, economics, politics, egos, mm. and the sheer glory of taste in an unrivaled fashion. And it has been doing so for close to 2,000 years. Yeah, it's full of great quotes, the book, isn't it? Just get a it little is, bit of, well, this is an audio of the book. It's quite a, it's quite a big tome. It's a big, and this is, here we yeah, go. yeah. 
but it's that's the pages and this is this is the very satisfying beautiful. noise when it closes <laughs> does it smell nice you're a big it, it I, I have to I have to say here what the reason I said that was because Peter is a big big smeller of books aren't you I'm not sure I'm ready to uh share that your son does it now as well anyway I... enough, enough yeah okay all right um anyway it's a great book um Jane's I think what Jane is brilliant on so many levels, but she also is brilliant on the practical advice. So lo- there's loads of really good hints and tips in the book and also in the interview, um, as we will hear. Um, there's also lots of really good facts and figures in the book, which, which keeps me love, happy. Which you love. <laughs> so on which, note, on which note, uh, I was going to suggest just a little bit of a pop quiz uh, to do with Bordeaux facts and figures as a way of setting the scene. What do you reckon? For me? Yeah, for you. Oh, God. <laughs> Come Why on, do you do All right. this? Okay, I love this. I love this. Right. Oh. Um, it's just about so it's okay. to do with some of the more surprising things. Go on, I've found. go on, go on. Okay. Go on. So, surprise so here we go. So, surprise us all. all right. I will surprise everybody. The, the quiz starts here. Right. Are you sitting carefully? Yes, all right. I'm, I'm sitting carefully. Uh, you you sitting mean listening? Comfortably would be normally the word. <laughs> carefully might be more appropriate here. Um, right. So first up, Bordeaux production is 85% red wine. How much of the red wine vineyard? is Cabernet Sauvignon, you know, uh, that emblematic great yeah. variety of Bordeaux. Yeah, How much d- is actually Cabernet Sauvignon yeah. in Bordeaux? Is it a half of the red wine vineyard? Is it a third or a quarter? I think it's less than we think. Um, I think there's a lot of Merlot, isn't there? So I, I think it's probably, it's either a quarter or a third. Um, yeah, a quarter. Don't have to push you. Of course, yeah, spot on. Um, it's it is, it right, it's only it? 22%. I was is really it? surprised by that. Yeah. Maybe I mean, naively. It does sound surprising, doesn't it? Yes. But, yeah. you know, Cabernet Sauvignon is the one great variety really associated with, with Bordeaux. Yeah. Actually, it's only yeah. 22% of the red yeah. value. Merlot is 66%. So, yeah, that's the great Merlot. variety which covers, you know, okay. by far and away the most. Mm. Um, yeah, and interestingly, Cabernet has actually fallen. It's down by 11% over the last 10 years as well. So it's not massive and it's it is sort of down. coming down. But I guess mm. it's just where it, it's most appropriate and maybe in some areas where it's not appropriate, yeah. it's been taken out. Um, really interesting also, the sort of so-called alternative varieties, Carmenere, Malbec and Petit Verdo, have risen over 100% in the same time. So they've been going gangbusters. Wow, do you yeah. think that's to do with climate change then? The I people think, are planting we'll, we'll more resilient come on to that varieties. In a bit. I think I think people are interested, or in just in wanting these things that are a little bit different. Carmen is a much later ripening variety, but actually yeah. now with climate change, exactly, it's more appropriate. Yeah. It can get ripened, it can do better. And people are looking for different flavors, something yeah. a bit, bit, you people know, are doing maybe things single varietal stuff. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, and total production of Bordeaux is around six hundred and fifty million bottles per year. 44% of that is Bordeaux or Bordeaux Superior, so the basic levels of quality. Okay. Um, only 17% comes from the Medoc, um, 13% from the Coates, and uh, only 11% is from Saint-Emilion, Pomerol and Fronsac. Um, and it's 9% is dry white of total Bordeaux okay. production, and 1% is sweet wine. Is it? Just yeah, 1%? Just 1%. Just 1%. All right, next question. How much of the Sorry. How much of the Bordeaux vineyard is dedicated to classified growths? You know, those this famous... This is going to be small. The top okay. properties, those classified, you know, from first to fifth growths in the, in the famous 1855 classification of Bordeaux's most expensive wines. Is it 15%? Five percent or two percent. So this is the first to the fifth growth, not just the first growth. The classified growth. How much of the Borneo vineyard is classified growth? Classified growths. Uh, I would have thought. Oh God, good, good, good question. I think it could be fifteen percent, but I think I'm probably you're probably going to say no. It's not. It's a lot smaller than we think. But I could be fifteen percent. Five percent. No, is it only five? Only five percent class growth, right, right from first to fifth. Total vineyard is one hundred and ten thousand eight hundred hectares. Mm. Um, there are five thousand five hundred wine growers in the Appalachian. Most are family businesses. The average size is is about twenty hectares, mm. which is actually quite big. Yeah, in the grand yeah, yeah. scheme of things, usually if you look at yeah, most, you most French wine regions, that, that it's about one or two a, hectares. A couple but of hectares. So it's yeah. quite. So they are quite big. Big. So but yeah. you know, only five percent is is classified growth. Wow. So less than we think. Again. Yeah. How many Bordeaux bottles were sold every second around the world in 2019? <laughs> every second. Is it two? Go on, go on, my options. Two, nine or 18? Well, given those 650 million bottles, I'm just going to go big and say 18. Yeah, absolutely right. Really? Yeah, yeah. 18 every bottles second. per second sold around every the world second. in 2019. Um, wow. the sales were worth uh, 3.9 billion in 2019 um, billion fi- billion euros sorry. euros yeah um, uh, 56% of those sales were in France so we forget that actually France is still the biggest market mm. for Bordeaux uh, a lot of that interestingly is supermarket sales at about uh, five so and a half not, euros not, so not necessarily massive. the class growth no, exactly yeah uh, the top exports are uh, destinations are China US UK Belgium Germany in that order mm. 
Hmm. I mean, that's not totally surprising, is it? You'd think the Chinese market would be yes. pretty big for Well, I think China, if you, look at the, if you look at those stats for 10 years ago or 20 years ago, it would be a very, very different picture. I think the UK but probably now. would have been at the top. But yeah. um, anyway, interesting. So, so things are changing. Um, so you're doing quite well. How many, how many more questions have we got? Uh, you got one. One, okay. So sustainability is a buzzword in Bordeaux now. And, you know, since 2016, apparently, there's been a notable reduction in pesticide use in Bordeaux mm. uh, for uh, various reasons. Uh, they spend about €400,000 per year just on research to do that. Um, wow, that's quite a lot, isn't it? You know, as a result, they need to find alternative ways to solve pest issues, like targeting the grapevine moth, which, as we all know, helps spread grey rot uh, and the caterpillars damage flowers and berries. We do know that, absolutely. Of course we absolutely. do. I, we all knew I that may have had to remind myself of that, of that fact uh, before. <laughs> anyway, one way, one way to do this is, to, is sexual confusion with airborne pheromones. But you'll be glad to hear my question is not about sexual confusion. Excellent. Um, Another way to do it is to encourage or reintroduce bats. Now, in one bats. night, a bat can eat up to 2,000 mosquitoes and how many moths? So, so, sorry. We're yeah. in reintroducing bats, which yeah. I'm sure will be not music to the ears of people trying to get rid of bats. But uh, well, who's trying not, to get rid of bats? Not trying to get rid of bats. Who has bats and have to look after them? But you're saying so a bat can eat up to two thousand mosquitoes and how many moths? Yep. I would no, say. Oh, you're going to give me some yeah. options. Two hundred, okay. six hundred, or two thousand? Uh, two hundred. 600. 600 moths? So in one night, Ooh. a bat can eat 2,000 mosquitoes and 600 moths. Good Lord. Right, there that's enough. That's so enough that, on That's stats. why we need to protect the bats. Okay, so, uh, so I got two right, two wrong, I think, or something like that. I think, I? You, I think you did very I well. I did amazingly. Of course I did. Yeah, yeah. I was never meant for pub quizzes. <laughs> anyway, right. Enough on stats, please. Thank you. Uh, I think it's time to bring Jane Anson in. Yeah. Yes, words yeah, of wisdom, real yeah, wisdom. You, now, there are a couple of things that we ought to clarify beforehand. Firstly, mm. I think the way Bordeaux is sold. It's yeah. a bit complicated. So it's a complicated system known as the Place de Bordeaux. Mm. And it's different from the rest of the world and um, different from France, frankly, even the mm. rest of France. Yeah. Um, but this is a historic system and um, it has three tiers. So you've got the chateau, the courtier or broker, and then the négociant or mer merchant. So the, the chateau make the wine pretty obviously. The brokers are the middlemen. And so about 75%, I've got some figures here, 75% of all sales within Bordeaux go through the brokers. Mm. And then the negotiant sell the wine around the world and at least 70% of sales go through them. So you know, they're mm. an important part of it too. So there are around 300 negociants in Bordeaux and each has their own kind of speciality. So whether they sell to restaurants or they sell to specific regions around the world. Um, the brokers try to match the negociant to the chateau and those producers typically sell through two to three brokers and then 40 to 50 negociants. Mm. So the system it is complicated. Um, it's not without its drawbacks, but it has been phenomenally effective at making Bordeaux a commercial success around the world. Yeah, it's interesting. It? I mean, it's it's um, much debated, isn't it? But um, it is. Uh, the, the, it you is. Know, uh, but it's it has good points and bad success. points. But it has been successful over the years. And you know, and and it's important to add that the Place doesn't just sell Bordeaux wines either. You know, these days a growing number of fine wines from all around the world mm -hmm. are also released. And sold through this system, you know. I guess to take advantage of the prestige and, and the sales network that the negotiants have, I mean, it's you know what is quite a complex commercial model. Probably stems from the fact that Bordeaux, over the centuries, has been not just a wine centre but also kind of a business centre, hasn't it? As well, because mm -hmm. you know, primarily because of its location on the Atlantic coast with a big river inlet in the Gironde and, and natural harbours. So historically, over the centuries, it's been a brilliant place for trading. Yeah. So I think you know, thinking about Bordeaux not just as a wine centre but also a commercial, commercial trading centre yeah. is really important to understanding how, how the region works. Yeah, absolutely. And, and actually, just one other thing that we wanted to clarify before we listen to Jane mm. um, is about the new grape varieties oh, that yeah. are being mm. permitted aren't they, in order to, to sort of help the region adapt to climate change, basically. Um, as of this year, 2021, the INAO formally uh, approved the use of, of six new varieties um, in Bordeaux after there was research into 52 varieties in total. And the idea really is that these varieties can cope better with drought, higher temperatures, shorter growing cycles, mm. everything that, that climate change can bring. Um, so there are four reds. See if I can actually pronounce these. Mm, uh, they're not, not easy, they're not yeah. grapes that you necessarily would have heard of, not all of them anyway. So Arena Noah is a red. Cross of Tanat and Cabernet, I mm -hmm. think. 
then Castets. Mm. Oh, uh, historic Bordeaux variety. Marceline. I've always had a bit of a soft spot for Marceline. Yeah, there's some uh, great Marcelins around the world, aren't they? So that's are, a cross of are. Cabernet and Grenache. And then Turiga Nacional, which, mm. um, you know, of course, we all know from, from Portugal. Which we love. I think the, it's a fantastic grape. Uh, then there are two whites, Alvarino and Liliorila. I don't know Liliorila. Don't know Liliorila. At all? No. Do you know her? No. No. Hot date. Maybe we'll get to know. Anyway, the first plantings are going to be allowed in 2021, but they are limited. So the limits are you you can have a maximum of 5% of the planted area can be given over to these varieties. And then they can't make up more than 10% of a final blend of a wine. So they won't appear on the label. Mm, mm. So that's the idea. I think it's fair to say it's been a much discussed move, hasn't yeah. it? Not without controversy. But, yeah. you know, I think the region's kind of owning it. And, and they're now sort of championing this status as being a pioneer in introducing specific varieties for the purpose of adapting to climate change. So, you know, fair enough. Um, how it evolves will be an interesting mm. one. But I do discuss that with Jane. So, mm. so you know, I mean, Bordeaux, Bordeaux ha- has always been about blending. It has, it? Absolutely, so, you know, there's, there's, you know, there's far fewer, I think, single varietal wines than than blended mm, wines. So mm, yeah, mm. yeah. Anyway, we get into all of this and more in my chat with wine writer and critic Jane Anson, who's been based in Bordeaux since 2003. Um, I started by asking Jane, what makes Bordeaux Bordeaux? Well, probably a mix of frustrations and delights, I would say. Um, <laughs> Bordeaux has been making wine for about 2,000 years and about nearly a thousand years under the current kind of set up where you have chateaus on one side who are busy making their wine and then you have this kind of weird system that sets barriers in a way between the chateaus and the cons- and the consumer because you have brokers and then merchants who send the wine off to market and it makes it frustrating in many ways there's less um, clarity over pricing etc and yet it also helps to keep the mystique and it is some of the smartest marketing of any really food brand globally, because what happens is you have thousands of merchants who are going out around the world in non-pandemic times and building up the, these brands and talking about them. And, and it, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, just, it's a very interesting place. There are so many inconsistencies and, and, and contradictions about Bordeaux, but it keeps it interesting. Wonderful. Um, now, your magisterial book, Inside Bordeaux, which I, which I have here, I'm sure every wine lover does have, um, you say in the introduction, you know, Bordeaux is so familiar to us that we almost stop seeing it. What did you mean by that? I meant that um, we, there, there are lots of um, things that we think we know about Bordeaux. You know, we think that it's very simple, that there's left bank, right bank, Bordeaux um, is about big brands. We have Cabernet Sauvignon on the left bank and Merlot on the right bank. And we tend to, I think we tend to see Bordeaux as being a place which is all about the money and we don't necessarily connect it to the brilliance of the individual wines that are made here. And for me as well, I wanted to, when I was looking at this book, to kind of start afresh, to get rid of all of those preconceptions and to try and understand what is really happening here today. And actually, when you start to kind of look a little bit deeper. Bordeaux is a very exciting place where there are tons of interesting winemakers trying to push the boundaries. And then you start looking back in history and you realize that's always been the case. Mm. You know, I talked about the system and, and the fact that there's the brokers and the, and the negotiants that keep Bordeaux being so high in people's you know, mind, front of mind. But it's also because right back in the 17th century, 18th century, 19th century, this is a place where things have moved and you know the first wine brands were made here some of the first um, wines put in bottle some of the first malolactic fermentations you know all of the, so many mm. things have happened in Bordeaux and have then gone out to the rest of the wine world and that's partly because it's not just a wine center but a trading hub the the the, the fact it was a harbor early on and the rivers connecting trade uh, was that part of it yeah I think we could we cannot take away the, the location obviously there's location in terms of terroir mm. but there's also location exactly as you say in terms of route to market and that has been crucial to Bordeaux throughout its history. Mm. Now one of the things you focus on in a book as you mentioned is the concept of terroir and, and the soils particularly in Bordeaux you know making the point that this is an aspect of Bordeaux that maybe hitherto has been a bit underappreciated you know how are things for you changing in the Bordeaux vineyard today? That's, that was without doubt one of the things that I found the most fun to, to talk about and where I really felt that I was actually moving the conversation on, which is you know, what you want to do when you start looking at, a, at a, certainly when you start writing a book of this size. Um, and I think what we're seeing now is this very interesting transition where people are doing an awful lot more studying of what's happening in their vineyard and how do we 
how do they bring out the best of each individual plot? Bordeaux will never be Burgundy in that it, it will never have a ton of absolutely individual links between a single bottle and a single piece of, of soil. Mm. But I think we're kind of missing the point of that. You know, part of the beauty of Bordeaux is this width of expression that it has. And if they can, in, if they can identify within a large 80 hectare vineyard, how to make the best of every single individual plot and treat it differently and make sure they've got the right um, vines there and make sure that they are trellising differently or harvesting differently, et cetera, then we as consumers are still getting a, a, a brilliant wine, which is a reflection of that vineyard. Mm. So, so blending uh, varieties and also plots being one of the key strengths of Bordeaux, you know, whereas in, in, in Burgundy, they, they tend to focus on the individual sites. Yeah, exactly. But it is actually quite cool. I was just um, a couple of weeks ago writing about the growth, the rise of um, the rise of single variety wines. And mm. I think that kind of yeah. goes hand in hand. The more they get interested in what's happening in the individual parts of their vineyard, the more they start thinking, oh, that's cool. That's an unusual piece of heavy clay. OK, I'm going to do a, a, a single variety bottling from that. So we are seeing that as well. But the beauty of Bordeaux is the complexity that you get from blending wines across this big um, area in the you know, in the say the 1855 um, uh, estates so uh, we're not going to lose that but i think we need to start recognizing it as a strength how much of that innovation are you seeing at the moment you mentioned the, the, the single varietal wines which is a bit of a, uh, a departure of bordeaux are you seeing a lot of that well what of? we're seeing is um a lot more experimentation i think people are it's kind of that's again what I love about the idea of reconnecting with terroir is it makes you also you start to take you know more it becomes fun the experimentation that you can do and I think Bordeaux is really in this phase of understanding more about um, organics biodynamics really really trying to actually be serious about the fact that for too long because they had these big estates they did I would really say quite a few shortcuts of how to ensure that the vineyard still looked you know worked well and was good and there's a real sense now that you can't do that it's it's not it's not at all feasible or sustainable to keep on treating vineyards um, as you know a shortcut how do you get as quickly as possible to to your grapes so there's an awful lot of Bio, bio um, not biodynamics, but biodiversity happening. So people really, I'm, I'm going to Cheval Blanc this afternoon and there they have a big um, agroforestry program where uh, they've actually pulled up about 3000 vines to plant 3000 trees in different parts of the vineyard. Mm. And it's this, it's a really fantastic program. And they're also, they have um, chickens, they have goats. They have, there's like a whole farm going on now at Cheval Blanc. And this is one of the, greatest estates in Bordeaux which charges an awful lot of money for its wine and they're really kind of symbolizing I think this kind of renewed sense of engagement with with the vineyard that is happening in Bordeaux right now. That's really interesting because pulling up a vine at Cheval Blanc must have a massive financial just one vine. Exactly Lafitte's doing the same thing Lafitte's pulling up three hectares of vineyard to um to plant uh, trees and to to do all kinds of um, biodiversity programs, and again, I mean that is a serious financial implication. Yeah, I mean, that's very. I mean, are you seeing that on a wider level? You talk about Lafitte and Cheval Blanc, obviously top estates. They can probably the best one in the world afford to do stuff. You know, sustainability is a bud. Seems to be a buzzword now in Bordeaux. You know, but historically, as you say, France has been one of the biggest users of of, of heaviest users of pesticides and other you know vineyard interventions. You know. Are things really changing all across the scene in Bordeaux right now in terms of sustainability? I think, well, so as I'm sure you know, everywhere in France by 2030 has got to, they will, across all appellations, they have to have introduce um, green measures into their uh, cahier de charge, so their quality kind of charters for making the wine. Mm. So in a way, it's very, very easy for them to say, oh, yes, yes, aren't we fabulous? But actually they're being told they have to do it at the same mm. time. But there is, yes, I would say at every level of Bordeaux, you have appellations like Saint-Emilion, who very early on, now it's been about three years, have said, if you want to have the name Saint-Emilion on your label, you must have, it doesn't have to be organic certified, but you must be doing some kind of certification that shows you're serious about environmentalism. And you have the whole appellation of Margot, which now is 70% signed up to a biodiversity charter, where they're all, again, same, same deal. I think the hard thing is when you're in, let's think about, an appellation like AOC Bordeaux, Bordeaux Superior, where you don't have as much money per bottle mm. and you're having to um, make a lot of bottles to even potentially have a profit, that's got to be tough. 
so that I, I'm very, really impressed when, when you see when you see those guys making an effort. And then talking in a broader sense about sustainability, climate change, um, what do you think, what's your take on the new grape varieties that have been authorised by uh, to be used within Bordeaux, for, you know, things like Tariga Nacional and Marcelin for the reds and then, you know, Alvarino and for, for the whites? I think, I, I think well, what's happening right now is, so that it was as of January this year that it was allowed for planting. So up until this point, they were just talking about it. Now you are seeing vineyards planting, but it will be another three years before they can use them. They'll only ever be able to use them for 10%, I think, of the blend. And what's quite interesting is this is still a period of trial. So with, uh, at the end of 10 years, if everyone decides it's not working, you may have planted and you'll have to pull it back up again. So I think people are a little bit um, wary mm. to go ahead. I'm seeing a number of estates who are planting and trialing, but not or planning to trial because again they, they can't use the grapes yet but um who are not planning to put it in their in their first wines so i think we'll see a lot of separate vinifications over the next four or five years just to try and understand how these estates work my own personal feeling is i hope we don't see too widespread adoption of it what i hope we see is is people understanding that they currently have plenty of tools that they can use so you need to think about you know, bring down the canopy cover so that you're not um, so you're not encouraging so much photosynthesis to try and bring the sugar levels down. You can even, maybe you can have less dense plantation so that the, um, because obviously one of the problems is scarcity of water when you get very hot, dry summers. So that could be another potential. Um, looking at clones, looking at rootstocks, ensuring that you've got all these kind of things that react better to what is unquestionably more challenging conditions. So I think it's an interesting project. I can understand why they're doing it. But I very much hope that they find ways within their current grape varieties to, to cope with climate change. And one thing that we're seeing that I'm really enjoying is a lot more um, Putti Verdo. We're seeing a lot of Putti Verdo even on the right bank. So that's a grape which um, you know, has higher acidity and gives structure and gives freshness and is a really nice small part of a blend. We're even seeing more Cabernet Sauvignon even on the right bank. So people are experimenting and they're working within the current rules. I think these new grape varieties are a nice extra potentially. Mm, very interesting. And, and just very quickly, you, you mentioned Putti Verde, but there does seem to have been a big rise in the so-called alternative varieties like Carmenere, uh, and Malbec and, and Putti Verde generally. Yeah. And in fact, we talked about the 100% varietal. There's, an, there's a couple that I'd really recommend. There's a, a estate called Chateau Bellevue in the Medoc, which always makes brilliant, brilliant Cru Bourgeois level wines. And they have a 100% Petit Verdot, which is awesome. Okay. Totally recommend it. Yeah. And then there's also a cool estate in, in Entre-de-Mer that's called Chateau Marjos. And that's owned by Pierre Lawton, who makes um, Cheval, and, Cheval Blanc. And this is his home estate that's just a just sorry Pierre but it's a Bordeaux superior and an entre de mer and he has just introduced this year a range of super interesting 100% varietal wines which has got I'm pretty sure there's a Carmenere I think but there's certainly 100% Semillon there's a 100% Muscadel there's um, 100% Merlot obviously but there's you know he's got a really good range and that's worth checking out. Thank you. Top tips. Brilliant. Thank you, Joe. Um, what about the winemaking then? Are you seeing a lot of changes on the winemaking front in, in Bordeaux lately? I'm sure this is happening all over, but what you're definitely seeing, and the Bordelais do love to move in packs, I would definitely say, but we're seeing a lot more amphoras, um, larger size oak casks, and everything's not just in small oak barrels now. Less um, oak use generally, I would say, not not at the top estates. They they need it. They're, they're you know, they're with they're charging a lot in order to be wines which can age through the through the decades. So you know that, that they do need the oak for that. But you are seeing a lot more flexibility at, at lower levels. Oh, we're seeing a few orange wines. Another yeah. recommendation I would have is an estate yeah. called Chateau de Serons, which is again a small property. Um, but they've just started a, an orange wine which is it's kind of a Bordeaux version. So it's only two or three days, I would say if if that maybe maybe even twenty four hours in of the of the skin contact, so it's kind of an orange wine light, I would say, but it's yeah. great and it's called Couché de Soleil, which means um, sunset, which is a lovely name for an orange wine. What <laughs> is a lovely name for an orange wine? Turning back to the commercial uh, side of things, which is what you started with. Interestingly, en primeur, we have to mention it. The system. Um, has come in for a lot of flack in recent years. And, and there's been a lot of change, hasn't there, as well? You know, Latour withdrawing completely uh, and more and more Chateau holding back stock, the result being that actually it's not the same thing. You can't buy it as an investment option so easily because the Chateau want 
to, to take the profits that the market's been taking, which is sort of understandable, but it's changed the nature of Empreneur. Will Empreneur soon be a thing of the past? I think, so in answer to your point there, it's understandable that they're doing it, but it's also, to me, slightly incomprehensible at the same time because they have benefited so much from this system. And I, I don't mean financially, I mean in terms of global renown of Bordeaux. And I think a lot of the chateaus now are forgetting that, that a lot of the reason that they are so globally renowned and are in pretty much every country worldwide you can buy Bordeaux, it's because they have ensured over the centuries that there is a reason for wine buyers and wine sellers and to, 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 to stock it because everybody can make some money from it. And it, it's a little naive, I think, to think that that's no longer the case, that just their brand alone is enough to get, you know, yes, if you're going straight to consumer, but if you're going straight to consumer, the Bordeaux make a vast amount of wine and they sell, as they say, they sell in every country around the world. That's a lot of logistics. The brilliance of negotiations is that they take all the hassle out for the chateaus in terms of how you get it into all the different markets. So I can understand why they want to keep it. And it's definitely true that our mode of consumption has changed and we don't have sellers. So there's a benefit in many ways for them keeping it and sell it at a later date. But the idea that they also want to take all the profit out at the same time, I think it's it's concerning for them and for the long-term future of Omprima. Having said that, we saw years like 2019. Last year was one of those like weird years where everyone was happy. The Chateaus were happy because they didn't think it was going to happen, and then it did. So even though they priced well, they were super happy that it, that it went ahead. The wine buyers and the, and the wine sellers, again, same thing. They made some money last year. They also didn't think it was going to happen, and it did, so they were thrilled. And the end consumer, they got fantastic wines at a great price. And I would, for me, 2019, better than 2020 consistency across the board. And if you were lucky enough to buy last year and now you see the prices of 2020, boy, are you happy that you did so. So let's talk very briefly about 2020. Then is it a vintage to to to, uh, to forego or is it a must buy? Well, there are some great, great wines. I, I really enjoyed it. I, as I say, I didn't find it as consistent as 2019, but some of my favourite wines over on the right bank in Santa Million particularly Santa Million, were some of my favourites for years. I loved them. But now you see the price increase. I think I would still say go for 2019 would be would be my recommendation. But I mean, there are some beautiful ones. You'll be happy if you can afford to buy 2020. You're going to be happy with the wines. But I think you're going to feel a little bit more um, like you've done a good, you've found a good deal if you've gone for 2019. So it sounds like you're a fan of 19s. But what are, what are, what are your other favourite vintages to be drinking right now? So I, if you're drinking now and you're lucky enough to have them, I've only ever done them at tastings really is the 1996. If you can drink 1996 Medoc, Medoc, particularly the classifieds, because they, God, they're good right now. Just tasting delicious. Um, I love 2005 always. Just it's such a nice, balanced, elegant, but kind of powerful still vintage. Probably my favourite vintage of, of Bordeaux. And I've started to really love the 2000s. For a long time, I was definitely a 2001 girl, mm. but I've just, the 2000s have just kind of opened up. They've softened, they're, they're nicer. They, they're really starting to come into their own. So those would be my three recommendations for the older vintages. It sounds absolutely lovely. Um, it was Leville Barton 96 that was a, it's quite a seminal wine for both Susie and me, actually. And it was, oh. unfortunately, we have none left now. <laughs> yeah, there can't be that many still out there. But honestly, if you can track them down, get, get hold of them. Just, I just wanted to pick up very quickly on the whole um is Bordeaux in danger of losing contact with the everyday wine drinker through this commercial system that you've described well I think what we're seeing I think what is genuinely happening is that Bordeaux is is splitting quite a lot you, you have the the icon wines and the the, the, you know, the top estates and they have their market and there's no question they do and, and they're brilliant they last for decades you know, that they're, they're wonderful, wonderful wines and they will always have a market. We might all get annoyed about the prices, but there will be people who are happy to pay them and who will get enormous pleasure when they drink them. But there are also a, a, another side of Bordeaux. And this is where I think we're starting to see some cool changes and evolutions and how to how they need to get out to market. And so I don't know if you saw recently, but there's an estate called Chateau Darius in Santa Million, which is a Santa Million Grand Cru. And they... Um, they uh, minted, as you say, an NFT 
So a non-fungible token, which meant that you could buy a digital version of Chateau Darius. It's like basically a you didn't you don't have to. They can stay purely digital, but he but he decided to make it basically thing you could exchange for a real bottle of wine. So if you got your NFT, you would have an equivalent of an actual bottle of Chateau Darius. And um, they released it at about £100 a bottle, which I know we're talking about affordable wines, but it's a fun new way to do it. Mm. But the real bottle would actually would be much less than that. But it created a massive buzz and it really engaged with a whole new kind of consumer. And that, that's really fun to see. And then you have, for me, some of the best value, but brilliant, brilliant wines are the smaller guys who are doing really interesting stuff. So there's another place called Clo Manu, which I'm a big fan of, up in the northern Medoc. It's AOC Medoc. And there they have some ungrafted pre-phylloxera vines that go back to like the mid-19th century, which they bottle as a separate cuvee. And you can buy that for under 30 euros in Bordeaux. And that is a, a wine which is just magical and, you know, talks about 150 years worth of history. And you know, I mean, there are smaller, cool estates out here in Bordeaux. It's just finding them. Sure. And hopefully, hopefully inside Bordeaux helps gives a gives a clue. But so does just you know, there's there are a lot of great people mm. who write about Bordeaux and talk about Bordeaux, and you know, there's there's so many fun ways to find out what's happening in this region. But just to push you a little bit on that affordability issue, you know, obviously the, the average price of a bottle of wine in the UK is about five six quid, isn't it? Um, coming down the scale a bit for people who just want a nice everyday bottle of wine, is Bordeaux still an option or, or, you know, do you have to look higher up the price spectrum to really get bang for your buck? So I think if we're talking about under five, once you've paid all the taxes and the imports, et cetera, I think in any region, it is very difficult to buy a wine for under five pounds and think you're actually giving the winemaker a, a decent cut and return. It is hard. I think we can't get away from that reality. Once you go to say five to ten, then maybe we're, you're getting you're, you're you're being a little fairer to the person who's produced it. And for me, actually, I would say go to the own own label Bordeaux. You get some brilliant stuff from the Wine Society, from Berry Brothers, you know, from all of these guys because they work with the best producers because they're bringing in their better labels. So that for me is a great shortcut to know you're getting a good winemaker and going through brilliant wine buyers who care about the quality and don't want to put their name on it unless it's good, but you don't get charged as much for it. So that would be one of my suggestions. Um, I would also say, look at um, look at the smaller estates that are owned by well-known um, people. So there's a, like, it might be a consultant. There's a consultant called Eric Boisonneau who does all the good stuff, but he has his own estate, Chateau Le Vim- Les Vimicières, I believe it's called. And that is a good value Medoc made by one of the best wine consultants in the world. But then you'll also have big estates that have smaller properties. So there are shortcuts. I think it's all about with Bordeaux because there's so much wine here. It's this crazy amount of wine that's produced here. So I think you need to have like five or six shortcuts that you yourself use to know how to get value. And just moving to the other end of the spectrum, uh, Chateau Petrus that had been aged in space, uh, which you tasted. Come on, just you've got to, you've got to share your thoughts on that with us, please. <laughs> that definitely was the. I don't think I'm ever going to repeat such an incredible tasting and also the fun of it was so undercover like you know we weren't allowed to say it was completely embargoed so off we went to taste it and then until the um the press conference which was three or four weeks later we weren't allowed to say what we tasted so it was a very fun day will it change the world I, I I very much doubt it but I think that um it was anytime you've tasted Petrusse it's a it's an event and tasting a Petrusse one that had, was one was that your Earth produce protrudes against your space protrudes was definitely something incredible, and I could tell a difference. I mean, I, I could tell a difference. I wouldn't say it was better or worse, but there was a definite difference. I mean, I, I, that all these, what kind of felt to me, the side of protrudes, which where you get those violet flowers and you get the florality, that was heightened. But so was. What happens as a wine gets a little bit older, where you get the smoky aspect coming out more clearly, that also had had kind of evolved. I don't know if that meant it had aged more quickly or if it just meant that that some some reaction from being up in zero gravity made that or or it was the 
and they must have gone through an awful lot of pressure as it left the Earth and was kind of shot up to the International Space Station. So I couldn't tell you why there was a difference, but there definitely was. So there definitely was. And, and equally, the price of this thing now, they're talking about... Oh, yeah, really... that's the difference too. <laughs> um, what was already an expensive wine is now a stratospherically priced wine. Anyway, fascinating to hear your thoughts on that. What does the future hold for, for Bordeaux? Bordeaux is not going anywhere, is what I would say. It's um, It will remain a, a point of reference for, for world winemaking. It will only be one of many centres of excellence, as it already is. You know, There's no question about that. And the best winemakers here recognise and love the great wines of the world and, and know that Bordeaux only benefits from that. I think one thing that I've really enjoyed watching and certainly love as being someone who lives here is the rise of other icon wines going through the Place de Bordeaux. So obviously we've had wines like Opus One and Almaviva for a long time, but today more and more every single year we're getting more and more of the the great wines of the world that are coming through Bordeaux, and I think that works in several ways. I think it helps. I think at first Bordeaux was a little suspicious of it, but what they realise now is it helps um, establish them as being a genuine centre of winemaking excellence globally, and and I think it just keeps the dynamism. This, this and this well, right back at the beginning you, you pointed out that chateaus are holding more back at, at their at their estates and the fact that other international wines are going okay you do that we will very happily come in and take that expertise that the negotiants offer and 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 get them to help us to to do this very impressive global distribution i think that's an interesting thing as well that maybe the bordeaux chateaus should should take note of jane anson thank you very much indeed thank you it's so lovely to speak to you So Jane was just pottering off for an afternoon at Cheval Blanc, as you do. I think she was also meeting up with Jasper Morris, who we interviewed on, on our Burgundy episode, wasn't she? A meeting of minds yeah, right there. Absolutely. Um, Burgundy anyway, versus Bordeaux. Meeting of wine blast alumni. Uh, anyway, <laughs> really interesting to hear what she had to say about orange, the orange wine. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the non-fungible tokens too. It's all <laughs> happening in Bordeaux, isn't it? You know. Also, what I love about James, you've got some really great practical tips for for wines or estates that are great value or a bit yeah. different. Yeah, yeah. And actually, um, we wanted to mention a wine that we we were yeah, going to give as one of our tips, weren't exactly, we? As well, which we are which we are enjoying during this podcast, oh, which is uh, Chateau Franc Boudron, uh, mm. twenty fifteen. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, a little bit of age, a little, little bit. bit of age. Um, it's from Montagne Saint Emilion. Yeah. Um, it is. Uh, £13.99 from Cambridge Wine Merchants in the UK. I'm not yeah. sure about internationally. I'm sure, sure it probably will be. But, um, so this, lovely, is ma- this is Bordeaux. Um, sorry, this is Bordeaux. We know it it's Bordeaux. Is, this is Merlot Bordeaux. is what I was trying to say. Uh, yeah. So it's Merlot. It's got relatively high alcohol was the only thing I felt about yeah, it. Yeah, it's just um, a generous style. It's kind it's of quite generous. expression. Yeah, um, yeah. You've got that lovely bit of age and maturity. Yeah, it's definitely got age, yes. You've got a classic Bordeaux yeah. sort of feel yeah, yeah, from the yeah. cedar and the graphite yeah. and the tobacco. So for value, that's that's a really, we thought that was a really good bottle. Yeah, yeah. wine but also you know good, probably good food wine probably best yeah. served with food i would definitely think so given given the sort of the weight of it it sort of needs um it feels like it needs food you know something like i mean just literally like a, kind of... a roast leg of lamb leg of mm. lamb with garlic mm. and rosemary would be lovely yeah. um you could do some kind of um more of a kind of mushroom risotto type thing mm. yep. or you know maybe a, a nice vegetable tagine or you know there's lots of stuff you could a do food. yes yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. quite right. versatile i like that well. In a classic sense, uh, in going, a way. Going, going, going back to Jane, uh, the, it was nice also to hear the historical context a little bit too, in the sense that Bordeaux's been innovating for a long time, yeah. uh, even sort of historically. Uh, I loved her phrase in her book as well, it reminds me, uh, Inside Bordeaux, which was, Bordeaux is constantly evolving and worth assessing afresh. You know, So we mm. think of it as historical, you get into that mindset. Well, I think that, that's it. When something is so historical, to. you kind of sometimes got to look harder behind mm. the history, haven't you, to see what's actually happening now because that's not the obvious stuff you know that's it's not the stuff you see every yeah. day yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely anyway yeah. so so picking up on that in a way and and looking at what they're doing now in terms of sustainability um i was going through some mm. of the information because i think it's it's interesting to see what has been changing um, and it does seem like there's been a real change in terms of bordeaux adopting organic and biodynamic practices more 
kind of mm. seriously. That's really true. Actually, um, it really does seem like there's been a big yeah. upshift now, like, properly, because you know there was a time yeah. when well, this is, well, you're drinking a vin biologique. I am indeed, um, and very <laughs> nice it is too. But no, I, I, sort of remembering when Ponte Canet was just sort of yeah. almost starting out. It was like, it was like, oh yeah, my yeah, goodness! Yeah. I mean, I remember I was in Bordeaux, sort of for the master, one of the master wine study weeks, and yeah. and it was introduced to to Ponte Canet, and yeah, it was really kind of like, oh my goodness, no, <laughs> you know, doing crazy. organics in Bordeaux, yeah. you know, it, it, I mean, it really did feel quite new then. Yeah, um, yeah. But now yeah. I think it's it, yeah, and, the, and so. the figures are growing. You, you know, there's a, there's a rise, gradual rise in mm. in the figures for the organics and biodynamics. Also, other certifications like HVE, um, mm. which is about biodiversity, um, and among other things, you've got things like leaving the land fallow and planting trees and hedges, setting up beehives. All that's those. Pre- I think that's been really popular in France, yeah. particularly in Bordeaux, hasn't it? Uh, yeah. was, is it haute valeur environnementale or something like that? Uh, whatever know, you but, say, yeah, whatever. <laughs> It's, it's definitely there's a big uptick in yeah. that, and it's been quite popular. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So Bordeaux saw a reduction. A little fit facts and figures here: um, a nine percent mm. reduction in greenhouse gas emissions for the five years from two thousand and eight to two thousand and thirteen. So that came from mm. things like using lighter bottles and composting, prunings, and mm. and effluents, and then recycling, uh, rainwater harvesting. And I think that the the subsequent aim after that nine percent reduction was a further twenty percent reduction. So mm. I think a new mm plan is is imminent now as well yeah. and I, I i do think it does seem like that, that you know this is an attitude or an approach that's really been turned around in bordeaux lately i think it's mm. you know it's an area that hasn't historically distinguished itself in terms of sustainability i think that's fair to say but it does seem as if the message really is getting through both in terms of wine quality and sustainability but yeah. also commercial sustainability yeah, you know yeah. that these things need to be more than lip service they need to be right at the heart of the business model. And yes. that's the key thing about it. The business is as important as the wine, but those two things are, are important together. Yeah, well, and, and, and the that's, people too. And actually, funnily enough, that's something that I talked to uh, to our, our lovely Jan about. So this is yeah, one yeah, of the yeah. things I, w- yeah. I wanted to discuss with Jan Todeschini. Um, he's the third generation at Chateau Mongo in Saint-Emilion. Uh, they also have Chateau La Bronde in Castillon. Um, cool. Now, Jan works alongside his brother, Carl, and um, and their dad, dad's side of the family mm. were originally from Italy, but... Yeah. But emigrated to Bordeaux, and mm. um, so I started by asking Jan how he and his he and Carl, his his brother, had changed things since taking over from their parents and the older generation, and whether whether it was particularly hard to change in in a historic appellation like Saint Emilion. I think the story and the history. Uh, first of all, Bordeaux, uh, because Bordeaux is very known. Then we have Saint Emilion, which is very known. So of course uh, we have the appellation and the prestige which is uh, quite heavy for, for a company like us. But inside of this, uh, we have the chance uh, to be educated like immigrants because we are Italian native. And I think this is a big uh, chance for us because our father uh, was immigrant. So he starts in the family business, in one business with nothing. So the family estate is from my mother and my father bring the immigrant parts to be very open-minded to innovate. And with Carl, we made study uh, in viticulture technology. We travel a lot. So we continue this new spirit. So in fact, we are quite, uh, we are a family estate, but always involved by the immigration and by our passion and youngness. So every, all this bring to Mongo, each generation involves something. And, and, you know, Bordeaux, um, you, you say part of your family, immigrants, Italian, you've got that Italian influence, but Bordeaux is a very traditional region, or we certainly think of it as, as a traditional region. Do you agree with that image, that stereotype? We are agree. Uh, sometimes we, we seem, or people said we are typical. We don't want to be atypical. It's like this. We are like we are. Uh, we are integrated and we are appreciated from other people from Bordeaux and Saint-Emilion. And for us, we try to have the balance. Uh, I dislike the marketing sense uh, tradition and modernity, because everybody speaks about that. But I think it's very important. And the chance of Bordeaux-Saint-Emilion is that it's worldwide renowned. But it's not because we are worldwide renowned that we need to be old school and to do nothing. So first, we involved, we change lots of things about the packaging, about the technical, about the great variety. And sometimes, lots of our neighbors or friends said, oh, you are crazy. Why you do this? Why you experiment this? And five, ten years later, I said, oh, maybe it's not crazy. Maybe you are right. And I think it's not only in wine industry. I think it's a world go very fast in all the way and all the, the job. And you need to be in advance 
every time if you don't want to be late. You need to be in advance if you don't want to be late. I love it. I love it. Um, so what are you specifically doing? I mean, you talk about packaging. Uh, you talk about being innovative. What are you doing specifically that that we might not expect of a Bordeaux producer? So first, we start in 2008 with my brother, with Carl. So we are all two with Carl, my brother, uh, technical people. Of course, we sell, we make business, etc. But we are all two in the vineyard. And for us, 99% of the wine is done outside. When you have the chance to have a good terroir, exposition, soils, grape variety, all vines, it's crazy to don't spend time outside. So for us, everything starts outside. So we start organic in sun 9, sun 10, 11. Then we progressively go to biodynamic. So now we are certified organic and we are in conversion to biodynamic with Biodina. Uh, so it's a new experimentation. So we have employed people to help us and to continue to do this because we don't have technical director or vineyard manager. is my brother and myself who do everything. We have a team, but we don't want to have director. It's ourselves who do everything. And this is also very important compared to Bordeaux uh, in general. So when you do the wine outside, and when you have the grape quality evolved, when you taste the berries, and after a few days in winemaking, you want to respect. And if you want to respect the grapes, year after year, you decrease in work, you decrease the sulfur. So we don't decide by marketing reason to make sulfur-free wines because it's fashionable and what you want. Because the problem of the fashion is the short times and it can be old fashioned after two years. So for us, we dislike to write New York. We dislike to write sulfur-free. We do our wine with conviction. And for us, we go progressively with sulfur-free amphora because more and more we work outside, more and more the wine was huge, best, and the identity, the aromatics alone, without losing nothing inside the cellar, was better. In fact, we are more and more lazy in the cellar. I'm sure you're not lazy. But but what does the amphora bring as opposed to using you know stainless steel or or another form of fermentation vessel? What what do you feel you get from the amphora, which are being used more and more? Um, going back to what used to be used, that they're being used more and more in the wine world at the moment, aren't they? In fact, it's strange, but for us, we try to do less and less things to bring nothing. <laughs> so it's crazy because we spend money and time. The aim is to respect the terroir and the identity of the terroir. More you work in organic, in biodynamic, more the grapes himself is done. And 90% of the job is done. So it's like if you spend lots of money uh, to the market before dinner with friends, more you spend money to buy ingredients, less you need to take time in the kitchen. So it's a, the time in the kitchen is the total opposite of the, the money you spend. It's the same for the grapes. And for the amphora bring nothing. They just age the wine to be respectful of the grapes, of the balance, of the creamy, of the texture. We don't want, like with New Oak, uh, bring aromatics, bring structures and tannins. The aim is to age, to make the macro-oxygenation without bringing any aromas, and bringing any tannins more. We just have the structure of the tannins of the fruits, the build, the, the body of the tannins of the extraction, no more. So in fact, it's just like if you like a sauce for cooking, because for us, we, we eat a lot and we cook a lot. And for us, we just make cooking, it's the same. It's, you do nothing, you just keep the sauce and sometimes you put it in the fridge and the tomorrow is better because you just take times that everything is done. And for us, the amphora bring the texture, the middle palettes, uh, because you know that Bordeaux is sometimes criticized for the body. Wine very strong, and people are looking for wine more affordable, more easy drinking. But for the identity of Bordeaux is to have wine with body, with core, and with tannins. So for us, we want to keep the identity of Bordeaux, but also to have something more affordable and more more drinkable with food or without food. So just moving on to that whole idea of, of Bordeaux, the image of Bordeaux that we have of, of sort of quite glamorous producers charging lots of money for their for their wines, driving around in very flash cars, um, the, the sort of corporate winemaker, if you like. What do, what do you feel about that? I think, for me, I don't really say Bordeaux. Uh, we work with Bordeaux. We are in Bordeaux. Uh, we are very involved, uh, myself in Castillon, my brother in Saint-Emilion. So we are involved in the AOC uh, organization. And for us, I think it's our job, 
our generation to evolve this historic system. So we need to be involved uh, to change the image. The problem of the reality of Bordeaux is that is quite huge. We are 10,000 wanderers. So of course, on 10,000, if you have 5% of people with this image, sometimes people can have this image. You know, I think for me, it's like immigration. Some people can speak about immigration, etc. We speak about the 2% of who have the bad effect. It can be the same in Bordeaux. I think in Bordeaux, in total modesty, right now, you have the best value wine since the last five years. Because people have changed, most of the teams, even if it's company, bank, insurance, have evolved. Lots of technical directors have changed the practice, go to organic, and the evolution since the five last years is huge. The problem of the image is very long to change the image, and I think we need to 10 years. But now you can find wine in Bordeaux at 10, 15, 20 dollars uh, or euro, easy, well done and clean wine. And and do you think for the future of Bordeaux, that's, that's really important that we start to see wines that are not only less expensive, but actually really well-made wines at a decent value price that people can actually afford? And it's very, very important. For us, we drink wine each day. We don't care if it's Bordeaux anyway. We taste the value for money and for the pleasure. And most of the consumer, of course, you can drink a bottle at 50, 100 euro sometimes. But when you drink wine for pleasure and when wine is ingredients, <laughs> and in France, we have uh, wine for each, uh, each uh, only for the breakfast we don't have, but in general, <laughs> wine for lunch and for dinner, uh, you cannot drink wine at 50 all the time, 50 euro. So for us, we made the wine range from 10 to 50 euro. But most of the time, for the retailer, for the wine shop, for wine bar, for the restaurant, is wine at 10, 15, 18, 25. But even our classic Grand Cru in organic is 25 euro. So it's not a huge price. Uh, if you compare to Napa Valley or other wine, even in US, uh, our Grand Cru uh, in dollars in retail can be 28, 30. Compared to Napa Valley wine, honestly, I think the value is there. Very affordable. Now, there's a lot of talk about sustainability these days um, all over the winemaking world. But for you, what, what does it mean at Mongo to be sustainable? I dislike a little bit this kind of world because there are too much use for marketing. And for me, we do marketing. I'm not against marketing, but it can be dangerous. Uh, sustainability sometimes is mostly understand with the environmental and ecological aspect. For us, sustainability go over all this. It's our ethical uh, from the production, from the sales, because we need to produce competitive wine who allow us to remunerate our job, our teams. We want to have fidelity in our teams because if we want to do this job on 60 hectares, we need to have a good team. And the sustainability is to have a good team with eight, 10 years. We have people working for, for us since 30 years. And these people, like our family, bring the sustainability of the knowledge uh, of the, the story of the estate. Because when you do something, it's like a recipe one times, two times, three times, then you better understand, improve year after year. So for us, we want to have the sustainability of the human who work with us, with the family. Then the sustainability of our customer. So the retailer, the importer, and the final customer. Because this sustainability for the economy aspect will order us to invest in the production, to maintain sustainability and organic and ecological. Because all the choice we made outside cost money. It's like this, but we know that our philosophy is expensive. The sustainability for me is the currency of the global system. And you know, some people in wine and in Bordeaux, you, you speak about chateau, but for me, sometimes we can say we are like a farmer. A farmer, you know, he made his crop, he's, he has the cow, the milk, the cheese, and you do all like a cycle. And we need to forget, we never need to forget that viticulture is agriculture. In, in, in terms of you are farmers, um, and I, I, you know, the, the idea of, of the whole thing being a sustainable entity um, is, is very understandable. But just going to the practicality of sustainability that we might think of, like not using fungicides, herbicides, pesticides, 
isn't that quite difficult in a place like Bordeaux that is traditionally known for using all of those things? But equally, you know, the climate probably means in many ways it isn't the easiest to to manage without all of that. For sure, is a is a choice complicated. It's a complicated choice. But for me, we choose our job. Uh, so you, if you choose your job, you you know, in agriculture or viticulture, people said, "Oh, it's too sunny, it's too rainy, it's too no." You choose your job, you do it with passion. So we decide. We know since the beginning we come back that the vineyard is outside, and you have cloud, you have sunny, you have st- storm, etc. Uh, you see, we have a small haze <laughs> because, uh, of course, it's very hard. And we are in the stronger period and stronger weeks for us because we just finished the floor, etc. For us, that is why we are two times uh, more salaries employees with us because to take the choice, if you want to don't lose grapes in quantity and in quality, you need to be more pupil. You need to work on Saturday. You need to finish at 11 p.m. to start at 5 a.m., etc., it's possible to do in Bordeaux. Ten years ago, everybody said organic is not possible in Bordeaux. Ten years ago. Five years ago, they said it's possible if you are very small. Now, even the Grand Chateau and Grand Cassé is not more possible to say this. It's not the facility, but it's possible to do. With passion, with human investment. With dedication and, and time and, and adapting, I guess. So you've made wine, we're talking about France, just as a, as a final point, you've made wine outside of France, for example, in the US. Um, you definitely see the global picture. How do you see the future for Bordeaux? You know, it's like for a brand, which is very renowned. It's complicated to stay at high level when you are renowned. Uh, when you build a brand like us, it's maybe easier because you start with nothing. When you want to maintain the level, it's, it's complicated. But for sure, Bordeaux, um, I don't know the word, peut briller à nouveau, I think can, can show like Bordeaux was renowned one century or 50, 50 years ago, or maybe, maybe 30 years ago. And for sure, Bordeaux have all the argument for me uh, to make the difference. You have the value for money, you have the people, you have new generation. Uh, the problem is communication. Uh, I think we are very bad about the global model, about communication. If you speak simple way about your product, about your way to work, etc., to the consumer, the problem we need to speak with the consumer. For us, 90% of our final customer restaurant in France or all over the world, they said we don't drink any Bordeaux. Since 10 years, I don't go to Bordeaux. And now we come back. So it's like a coming out for all the, the wine shop, the wine bar, the sommelier. They said, we discover a new visage of Bordeaux, a new generation, pépite and what you want. So I think it's like this. You know, it's very fashionable. And Bordeaux was fashionable generation before us. We have a, a no wave. And now I think we hope we have a new wave. And for sure, because even the big chateau and the Grand Cru Classé and the Classified made big efforts. Uh, honestly, when you drive in Saint-Emilion, in five years, the soils uh, with a chemical and a weed killer have divided by four. I think now 80% of the vineyards don't use any more weed killer. And there's a huge evolution in four or five years. And these people who have changed, they was against five years ago. But I think the spirit to go very fast. It's the force of Bordeaux. It's big, so it can go very fast, low, but it can be very active also to make the difference. And just finally, do, do, you, do you find you talk more as a new generation? Do you talk more with other winemakers than perhaps the generations used to? So you share ideas and is it more collaborative now than it used to be? I think, uh, I think and I hope. Uh, we are maybe not representative, but for us, you know, in this room, lots of time we organize, we organize not meeting, but if we have a supplier or agronomist, uh, interesting for us. We call a few friends and we made something. We made a lunch, etc. and we organize this. Uh, with the ale, we have a system. So we have a WhatsApp, uh, we have a WhatsApp group with uh, 61 growers in Bordeaux. So on WhatsApp, we speak at uh, midnight, uh, 2 a.m. because we don't see it with the storm and we speak, we exchange. Uh, if you experiment new process, uh, biocontrol uh, for spray, etc. So I think more and more this will evolve. We are not competitors. People can be family and uh, cheaper than us, more expensive than us 
for the final price, we don't care. I think we do the same job. And for me, we all said we are educated like this with our, our, by our parents. We prefer to be the last of a good school than the first of a bad team, you know. So I think the competition is a positive. And you know, in New World and in Napa, uh, people are more open mind, and each one is like a team behind his brand. And for us, is a little bit the way we need to work. Jan, thank you so much. It was lovely talking to you. And we are open for visits, so it's the best is to come to visit and to share uh, the vineyards. Taste with you. Yeah, for sure. Thanks. So it's all round to Jan's place. Let's all go and visit Chateau Mongo. Go to Mongo. Go, go, go. <laughs> That bad. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Well, Sorry. I, I Sorry, Yam. Go, go, go. Sorry, Carl. There's something about Belinda Carlisle's knees go. recently, wasn't there? <laughs> go, go. Anyway, um, that's not that's off topic. Um, it's not very important. And you know, back on topic. You know what they're up to there, and for yeah. uh, low sulfur dynamics, yeah, biodiversity. I mean, he calls that everything. he calls that being lazy. I love it. Wow, this Just, is, you yeah. Know, yeah. Pro- proper proper driven work ethic there. You know, and he talks about that, doesn't he? The immigrant work ethic and, and as a result being more open to innovation uh-huh. more uh, open-minded generally probably. I, I think that was really really interesting to hear yeah um i also did like his metaphor of buying the best ingredients in the market for dinner being the equivalent mm. of of you know growing healthy grapes so you don't not have really to do much no you don't have to do much with it no well it, yeah, it, it is it's, it's, it's yeah yeah absolutely and he makes the point of course about things changing because people have changed and mm. and it's just really well in his opinion, a question of the image catching up with the reality in Bordeaux. I think that is interesting, though, because it sounds trite or it sounds facile, but you need enough influential, enough of the right people to change their mindsets. And then you've got momentum behind something like sustainability or the change in styles. And and I think we're seeing that now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, Mm. that's uh, that's pretty much all we have time for today. So do leave a rating and review if you can. Subscribe and tell all your friends about Wine Blast if you haven't already. Tell your friends. Um, Tell your mates. Uh, Thanks to Jane Anson and Jan Todeschini. Also to the Bordeaux Wine Council and, of course, Huge thanks to you for listening. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.